Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the New Life Church Rewind podcast. My name is Michael, and I'm here with Pastor David Sangster. Hey, everybody. How are you? And we are starting a new series this week. So we're going to have a series of podcasts on the new uh, sermon series that we're doing at church called Summer Baggage. Mm -hmm. And this is a four-week series, and we'll hope to be able to do um, rewinds on most of these episodes. But let's just introduce this series. Pastor Dave, what is this series all about? How did it get its name? Anything like that? Well, I wanted to come together this summer over like a, a summer topic. And uh, like I said on Sunday, uh, I was looking at different uh, inspirations for a, a summer series. And I just saw this graphic. It actually came from a graphic to start with of this little blue car that was loaded down with huge baggage. And it just brought me back to my childhood in the summers. My parents had a little VW Rabbit, and they made a, uh, my, dad, my dad made a homemade uh, roof rack for it, and he just piled that thing on with luggage. And then as I dug into the concept of summer baggage, um, it's one of those things that we all, it, it's, it's universal. Mm-hmm. We've all got stuff. We all got baggage that we either is unresolved or uh, we just we don't even know we have sometimes. And I think it's just a healthy thing as uh, as a group of people in the church to kind of talk about these things, bring some light to some of these places in our lives that are you know, maybe not dressed as much as possible. Uh, so that's where we came from. We're summer baggage. We're uh, digging into the baggage we carry um, inside emotionally, uh, spiritually, and trying to work through those and give good, good healthy ways to, to process them. So what you're saying is, is that all us good Christian people who go to church every Sunday, <laughs> we're, we actually have baggage? Yeah. We're not perfect? Yeah. I'm, I'm speaking from personal <laughs> experience, actually. All right, good. So let's get into it. What was the big idea of the message this week? So the big idea for uh, the sermon was we are not meant to carry the weight of bitterness and anger, but we can trade them for freedom and peace. And you likened that big idea statement. You kind of carried that into this analogy of a plane. Mm -hmm. And planes have a specific amount of people and cargo that they can carry. So the question is, if if people are like a plane Mm -hmm. and we're designed to only have so much load to, to go a certain distance in life or whatever you want to call it, if we don't lighten the load, if we have too much baggage, are we going to crash? I think we have to be very careful, just like the, you know, international civil aviation organization that we are monitoring and are, and are aware of how much baggage we are carrying. Um, I think everybody carries a level of baggage. I mm-hmm. think uh, none of us have a clean slate. We're never going to have that. You know, there's going to be some baggage, either through uh, experiences we've had, uh, poor parenting, uh, you know, trauma that we've gone through. This, these are things that are absolutely kind of part and parcel to being an adult, right? Dealing yes. with those things. But the question is, how much do we carry that is unaddressed? We have to be careful that we don't let the weight of these things harm us because the, our past could definitely 
harm our future if we're not careful to to process this baggage properly. And I think that's probably the best analogy. And so with that uh, idea, you said Summer Baggage, this series, Mm -hmm. has a theme verse that's going to kind of be a thread that goes through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Mm -hmm. It says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Mm -hmm. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So that's the words of Christ. And I have to tell you, what a verse that is. Mm -hmm. If we really lived that out, Mm -hmm. the Christian life would be probably a life that has less and less baggage as we go through. And I think that's one of those verses, particularly uh, 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's kind of one of those verses that probably even goes into the secular world a bit. Like it transcends Mm -hmm. not just Christianese and people at church. So I didn't know if you wanted to talk a little bit more about why you chose that verse or what it really kind of says to you. The verse is is very interesting to me because we, I mean, the only way I could uh, really describe uh, anxiety, depression, these types of things, which I have personally had my bouts with, mm-hmm. is it's just a uh, a heaviness, just a weight. I used to get uh, a sense of just almost like physical pressure on my chest. Uh, and that was it was it was it was bizarre how it manifests itself as weight. When you come along this passage, Jesus is is basically saying there is a weight to this. There's a weight to uh, the things that we believe about this world, the things that we understand to be true, and the way we ought to do things. And he's saying my way is better. My way is better. It's not only better. It's it literally will take the weight off of your chest. Right. And. In the, I believe it was the message uh, translation, we'll just kind of distill it down, how what Jesus is talking about is the unforced rhythms of grace. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that. I don't know how good of a translation that actually is. Yeah, you take it with a grain of salt, but it's pretty cool. But that's a powerful way to look at right. Jesus's yoke that he puts upon us, mm-hmm. that it is unforced. Mm-hmm. And, and when we're really, um, I think, seeking after Christ— it should feel unforced. It should mm-hmm. feel natural to us because I think that means we're kind of discarding our baggage, if you will, and that plane is starting to fly like it was designed. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the, just the definition of the word grace. It can't be. It's it can't be earned. It's grace. I mean, the whole point is if you if it's forced, if I'm having to earn it, if I'm having to work for it, if I'm having to carry something in order to receive it then it's not grace the way Jesus talks about grace. It's this unforced uh, coming to Christ and him just giving it free. I think that's it's exciting. So verse 30, one more time. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time yeah. talking about the word yoke. Yeah, let's unpack it. And this is just how I'm wired. Mm-hmm. You hear that word, yoke. It's kind of an unfamiliar <laughs> term to us, or I mean, I didn't yeah. grow up on a farm or whatever, so this is an agricultural term, and the yoke is like, I guess the best way I can describe it, just on a podcast, is like the that big wooden 
structure that kind of yokes a cow or a horse or a mule to either like what, like the wagon or the plow plow or whatever. So this is an agricultural term. So I I just had to do it. I looked up the word yoke in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is in the Old Testament, the word yoke appears 52 times Mm -hmm. in 44 different verses across 13 books. Mm. You did your homework. I did my homework. Well, (laughs) and and now the days with the internet, (laughs) these searches are easy to do, right? So when Jesus was using this word yoke, Mm -hmm. it might sound strange to you and me or people who didn't grow up on a farm, but if that word was used that many times in the the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. the people who were hearing this, they were probably um, quite familiar with the term yoke. Right, so these people knew exactly what Jesus was talking Mm -hmm. about. But what's interesting is I looked at these verses, and usually in the Old Testament, the word yoke is not a good word. Mm-hmm. It, it's like a burden to these people. It's um, like, you know, when they were in captivity in Babylon, that was yeah, a yoke. that's a good point. Uh, you know, a harsh father, mm-hmm. that's a yoke. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 50-some-odd times, and I'll tell you, most of them, I, looked, I didn't look at every last verse, mm-hmm. but it was hard to find a good one. Hmm. That's good work. So in the New Testament— we actually see this word used far less. So mm-hmm. this verse that you picked out, uh, yoke is only used six times in five books in the New Testament. So why do you think Jesus was really pointing us to this word? Like, why would he use this Old Testament word to speak to us in the New Testament? I think, I think the fact that it has a negative connotation in the Old Testament is actually— part of the reason why he uses it, because it does have a, a negative connotation. This concept that when we're talking about a yoke, um, usually it was a, a, a way in which to take two people, or two, two animals, mm-hmm. and align them together. They would be a yoke, be one ox, and then an ox next to them, right. and they would attach the two ox together by a yoke, which would then be attached to the plow implant or the or the cart, or whatever they were doing. So it was this concept of yoking two uh, animals together. And this was a, uh, you ever hear of being unequally yoked? This concept that um, if if the oxen were not the same size, or they're not the same animal, they would tend to pull to one way or the other. Uh, so that's why the concept of being equally yoked is so important because you have a straight line. So when we talk about yoke in the Old Testament, it does have this this negative connotation. And I think it, it brought that over into the New Testament. And Jesus is saying the yoke that you're carrying is not good. It's, it's not a good thing. And he says, come to me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a yoke that's, that's easy and light. Why? I believe it's because he's carrying most of the weight. I mean, when he says, come to me and I will, because Christ did all the all the real work. Right. What he's telling to us is that we can't do it. We're not, we're not able to carry the burden of this life. And I'm sure, to paint that imagery more, I'm sure these animals, especially when they were doing hard work, they were very aware mm-hmm. that this yoke, this mm-hmm. beam of wood or whatever it was made out of, it was probably like digging into their neck. Right. And they were constantly aware that they were being... Um, used for something. Right. And just for those people who weren't there on Sunday, um, who are listening to this, when we get to the New Testament, 
the yoke that we're really what Jesus is referring, he's actually referring to a a, a plow implement or pieces of wood in your shoulders. What this was was this concept of a body of teaching mm-hmm. that a rabbi would hand down to his his Talmudim, his disciples. Okay. And uh, so what he is saying is the religious leaders who are discipling their disciples are handing down some very heavy and severe yokes, teachings, and practices. And he's saying, listen, come to me, and I'm going to give you something that's way more light to carry, the teachings, because I'm the one doing most of the work. And so it was a lot easier for me to survey the New Testament usage of the word yoke, because there's mm-hmm. like six of them. Right, right. That's what yeah. I said. But one stood out to me. Galatians 5, it says, for freedom, Christ set us free. Mm. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Mm-hmm. So that made me want to ask you a question. Is it inevitable that no matter who you are, that you will always have a yoke on you, mm-hmm. whether it be a good, easy, light one, or a yoke of slavery? Because some of these yokes don't seem so easy and light. Right. I think one of the reasons we why we have baggage is because everybody's carrying some kind of a yoke, no matter what. I mean, our our culture is telling us what we should believe, what we shouldn't believe. Um, there's we are we are disciples or students of some religious system. Mm-hmm. Some people say, oh, "I'm not religious." Well, that's convenient, but it's not really true. You probably have a yoke of something. <laughs> exactly. You're, on you. you're believing something. You're. Yeah, no, exactly. So, and I think what Jesus is trying to say, whether it's religion uh, being a very tough uh, works-based religion process that you're in, like the uh, rabbis were doing to their to their students, or it's just the world, we have got to be understand that you know we're all following and serving something. You can think you're independent, but you're really not. I mean, Ephesians chapter two, verse one is a great passage for this. Okay, and it really talks about how we're all under a yoke, and it says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's where we were. That's where we walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So what, Christ, what Paul is saying is that Christ set us free from a yoke that we didn't even know we were, we were part of, that we were following. But we all were once a part of that uh, system. And now Christ has set us free to his system. Yeah, and I suppose, just because this analogy is so great, the yoked animal mm-hmm. probably has no idea <laughs> what it's actually doing. Right. Like, exactly. it knows it's just pulling this yep. thing, but then the the plow is being pulled by someone, mm-hmm. and then a product is being produced, and right. then that might trickle down through commerce or someone's family. It's a very interesting thing. Yeah. That we just don't really know what we're yoked like to. Like I said Sunday, when Unless I was... we know it's Jesus. Right, Exactly. And I guess it's Sunday. I didn't even understand the concept of yoke as a kid hearing this. I thought it was egg yolks. And yeah. So I mean, unless you unpack it for, for a modern audience, it is a little bit confusing. It's just interesting that it's one of those words that um, the people who heard it originally probably mm-hmm. had a little bit Way more. Better, yeah. They probably heard it a little bit deeper. <laughs> yep. So we moved on to Matthew 18, 21 through 35. But I want to focus in on just a couple of verses there, uh, starting in verse uh, 21. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? 
I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Mm -hmm. And you talked a bit how Peter, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he probably thought this was a very righteous and nice yeah, He was being qu- generous, right? He was being generous. <laughs> and so I did the math. And so he's saying not seven, Peter, Jesus says Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven, which is 490 times. And then you can stop. <laughs> right. So my question is, do you, does Jesus really mean you have to forgive someone 490 times? Mm-hmm. Like, are we supposed to read this verse literally? Uh, well, no. <laughs> there, there is uh, another another passage in Scripture where Jesus says the same thing. It's 70 times 7 in a day. Which is never going to happen, right? right. It, it's like just, it just, this is a uh, an infinite infinity type statement. So what you're telling me is <laughs> there is actually hyperbole in the Bible. Uh, absolutely. So we can't actually read every single verse literally, even if we find it in a narrative. Yeah, you got to remember that these are real people and using real language. So we have to be uh, sophisticated enough to be able to uh, exegete properly. And the, the concept of there being, you know, everything taken as literal. Uh, I was talking to somebody in the past who was using parts of the book of Psalms as like a literal statement when they're, they're absolutely, without, without even a doubt, poetic in nature. Right. You know, like the earth being God's footstool. Well, he's not literally sitting in a, a, a chair up in heaven with his feet on yeah. the earth. But that, that was, you know, the, this concept of having to be literal is it breaks down because there's genres in scripture and and hyperbole is one of them and again we say oh that guy weighs a ton (laughs) exactly it's it's human language yeah he doesn't weigh a ton uh (laughs) or you know he was you know i don't know you know walk a mile in my shoes i guess you can't really do that but But usually (laughs) yeah usually when we say these things yeah and so i just wanted to take that uh as an opportunity for the listeners at home that that's why the Bible, it's like a lifetime of study, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. we have to kind of just constantly wrestle with these verses so that we can actually um, get a sense that what Jesus was really just talking about was like picture an impossible number. Yeah, That's how much forgiveness you should have in your life. And then he goes on to give another impossible number in the, in the, in the parable about these, you know, these huge numbers of, this, of money that this person owed. The hearer would have understood that to be infinite, an infinite, an infinite amount. There's no way this guy could pay it back. And just so um, my inbox doesn't have to get destroyed, does this spill over into when we're talking about? We'll save this for another podcast. But like, the universe was created in seven days. There's some debate about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. seven literal days, or mm-hmm. or is this uh, symbolic language? Uh, the millennial reign of Christ. I mean, th- these kinds of Issues have torn apart different yeah. denominations, and uh, you know we're not going to solve it on a on a rewind podcast. But I just wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about how we do see hyperbole in the Bible, and we have to be discerning, yeah, about how we use it. Yeah, there's so many. See, the problem with, unfortunately, with modern day denominations is that well, we we major in the minors. That's true, and the minors are what divide us when we really should be unified as one church under the banner of Christ. So, like, there's a bunch of things. I mean, we, we have modern-day, you know, prosperity doctrine that, that takes some verses very literally that, um, that 
I don't think is good exegesis. But that's going to divide us. So, so I believe one thing about those verses. Somebody else is going to believe another thing about those verses. If we major in that, we're not going to be able to be friends. But if we come together underneath the banner of the, you know, the basics, the fundamentals of Christianity, then we can differ on some of these things mm-hmm. uh, and still have fellowship with one another, still be brothers and sisters and be kind. Because that's a, a, the church is going to be known by how it loves one another, not by getting every doctrinal thing perfect. So, so I mean, verses like Philippians 4.13, is, I just want to give this one because it's very— Regular. So this is an example of a, a verse that you can't just st- like strangle it into this literal meaning in your life. Right. So, and the reason I'm using this one is because many people have heard this, and it's, mm-hmm. it's just a common verse. It says, uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, when you hear that, out of the context of, of the way it's written, it sounds like this super empowering verse that like will give you the ability to to you know do anything you want to do. But you said all. But all means you all. Read that, you read that word. <laughs> yeah, all means all. Um, but when you look at the actual verses, it's being written by Paul, who is literally at this point writing these words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, sitting in a prison cell mm-hmm. under horrible conditions. And what he's doing is he is saying that whatever circumstance life throws at me, because of my being tethered or yoked, for the sake of this message, to Christ, I can carry the weight of that thing. I can endure. I can be more than a conqueror in the circumstance that I'm in because Christ carried all the weight. And I can do I can do that, and he says in another passage of scripture, you know, in whatever state I am, whether I'm in uh, health or sickness or wealth or poverty, there I am to be content because that's what I can do. I can do that through Christ who strengthens me, and that's the context of it. So we have to be careful that we read scripture and we we study it. You can't just read it and 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 this whole bumper sticker theology. Is not a good thing. Yeah, it's not a good thing. Yeah, like your your theology can't be like TikTok short. I can't. We were joking yeah. before we recorded about how TikTok is just this like it's like right to your brain little yep. clips, and um, theology and and how you look at God and what He's done for you in His whole story. It 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 requires a lifetime of of study. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things that um, can seem daunting when, when a new believer hears someone like me say that. They're like, oh, man, I, I don't, all I have time is for the bumper sticker theology. Maybe. I'm telling, no. God is going to give you what you can handle in the moment. He's going to grow you slowly. It's not an overnight, overnight thing. And I guarantee you, if you start digging into uh, good scripture, good teaching— um, get involved with with Christian people and start having those discussions. You're actually going to thrive. You're going to enjoy it, and uh, and you're gonna and you're gonna be better for it. So speaking of Christian people, mm-hmm. Jesus says you're supposed to forgive your brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. right? And do it do it um, you know 750 times or whatever. Okay, <laughs> in a day, in a day. <laughs> 
But I, I want to ask you kind of a snotty question. Mm-hmm. So Jesus says you have to forgive your brothers and your sisters. Mm-hmm. So who are my brothers and my sisters? Is this a limiting thing that he's saying? Because you, at first glance, you might say, oh, well, I'll forgive my mm-hmm. church people, but right. I ain't forgiving that guy. Right. Yeah, I think I think you could take it that way. And I think it would uh, seem to be maybe pretty pious. But it's going to hurt you. I mean, holding, holding unforgiveness towards anybody, even if they deserve it. Let's, let's just not, you know, tiptoe around this. Some people are jerks. <laughs> Some people act like jerks. Some people hurt you. Some people are, yes. are, are, do evil, evil, evil things to other people. And there's no way around it. That's, that's unfortunately the world that we live in under this sinful regime that Satan leads. And I think Paul, I believe we went into Ephesians 4 in the sermon. Um, it says, let all bitterness, anger, and yep. wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, mm-hmm. along with all malice. Mm-hmm. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Mm-hmm. So I think Paul is almost doubling down on what Jesus. He's not saying brothers and sisters. He's saying one another. Yeah. That in, makes it more clear for us that this idea of forgiveness isn't just a select group of people, people who deserve it, who don't deserve it. I mean, one another, I think that's quite clear about what he's trying to get at with that. Yeah, and I think we can just even go back to some of the other teachings of Christ where it talks about the Good Samaritan. You know, he said, who's my, who's my neighbor? You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And the guy, the guy rightfully asked, just like you did, who's my neighbor? Well, the Samaritan. At the end of the story is the Samaritan is your neighbor. And your Samaritan is, you know, someone that's supposed to be your enemy. All right, so no matter who the people are, and you got to remember forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not always, it's not always about the other person. Right. It's about me. How am I cleaning my house? I cannot control that other person who's done wrong to me. Um, it, it's impossible. We can't change people. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can change people. So all we are responsible for is our own house, what we do with our own uh, psyche, our own uh, mental capacities. And you told us in the sermon a story mm-hmm. about an incredible act of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this story goes far as to say that, yes, even a Nazi, mm-hmm. the worst of the worst, right, yep. they can be forgiven of something terrible. But now I want to ask you something. Is there anything that is unforgivable? The only thing in Scripture that is considered unforgivable is what is called the unpardonable sin. Which is what? That's under debate. <laughs> If you want my my understanding of that scripture, the only unpardonable sin is the sin by which is unforgiven at the point of death. Up until that point, sins are forgiven. You can ask Christ. Think about the the, the thief on the cross. Of course. Um, if anybody had a situation where uh, they had very little time to have their sins forgiven, it would be that guy. I do not think the unpardonable sin is an is a thing that you can do. Uh, some people say grieving the Holy Spirit. I think to grieve the Holy Spirit is to reject His 
promptings of salvation to the point of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really believe that up until that point of death, um, there is really nothing, nothing that is outside of the amazing, uh, f- unfathomably wide grace of God. So on the topic of forgiveness, you said forgiveness is hard work, but it should be the hallmark of the Christian life. Mm -hmm. Could you just give us a little bit more wisdom on that statement? Because that's, I believe you even told us to write that down. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's a, there's some application in that. Yeah. Uh, It's something that we should be pursuing. It's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. We all, like I said earlier, we all have stuff in our past that we have to carry, baggage we have to carry. Being an adult means that we have to deal with the traumas and the baggage of our, of our past. How we do that determines our mental health, our physical health in our present, and will also uh, set the trajectory for our future. So it's very hard work to do this stuff, to, to grapple with these topics and these issues of the baggage that we carry is absolutely one of the most difficult things you can do. It's far more heavy than lifting a physical weight. It's emotional. Um, but the church, because of what we have received from Christ that was completely unmerited, we did not merit our own salvation. We did not merit... Um, the ability to to be in fellowship with Christ. That was a total gift by the grace of God. We were forgiven, just like in that parable of the man who had this unfathomable debt right. that he could never pay. Not in, a, not in a thousand lifetimes could he pay this debt. And the, uh, the master said, I forgive you of the debt, which means it's not like he's put, like I said, he's not putting it on payment plans. He's not deferring it. Right. He's just canceling this debt. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't deserve it, but yet it was given to him. So people who, who Christians who've experienced this dramatic level of forgiveness, um, I think forgiveness should be the hallmark of a people who've experienced that level of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's hard work. I'm, I'm definitely not um, minimizing the difficulty of dealing with and extending forgiveness to people who've hurt you in the past or past traumas that you've endured because there's some really evil people out there. But I am saying it's it's hard work and it's not only good for you, but it's also good for the church as a whole as a ambassador of Christ. And just as a follow-up question, um, just to get a little bit of clarity on this, it says forgiveness is hard work. Mm-hmm. But you're not talking about like a works-based faith situation here, because when you hear that, someone might hear that and say, "Oh, you know, pastors talking about about works that you know." Mm-hmm. But that's not really what you're saying, right? You're just saying that um, it's not easy, because even though we have the grace of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit is empowering us to do things. Like things can still hurt, mm-hmm. and um, it's not easy because it forces us into a supernatural place, I think. Uh, there's, there's, there's two options. You can repress or, or ignore the, the pain in your past and let it kind of fester and, and weigh you down. Um, give the devil uh, something to, to get a foothold in your life. Or you can work those things out. You can, you can bring them up 
before God and even maybe a therapist, depending on, on, on the level of trauma we're talking about, and, and work through those. And I'm telling you, as somebody who has worked with the therapist in the past, this is not easy stuff to, to deal with, some of the, the stuff in our past. It's not easy, but it's so good for the health and well-being of the individual and also as we all work towards this, the, the church, the body of the church as a whole, because each, each part is healthier. And since we mentioned both therapy and the devil, yep. and I'm not saying therapists <laughs> are the devil, no, no. <laughs> if there's any therapists listening, that's what I'm saying. So the question is, are all therapies okay for Christian people? Or do we have to be a little bit discerning about... Um, just opening up the yellow pages if those still exist and right. finding a therapy or a therapist that's going to work with us to help us do that hard work yeah. of forgiveness. I'll, I'll say two things on this. If you're suicidal, get in front of a therapist yesterday, like now. Right. I don't care. Call, call, use the Google, use the Google, the, the Google, <laughs> yeah. use the Google, get in, get in front of a therapist now. That's 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 triage, man. You got to triage that thing. If you are if you are struggling so much that you are thinking of taking the most precious thing that God ever gave you, which is your life, um, get into a therapist now. It's worth it. It's worth it. You're worth it. Now, if you have a scenario where you're dealing with some past trauma, or if you feel like some things are are um, are not right, I would say work towards uh, being a little bit more discerning. As to who you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes back to that whole concept, again, of being equally yoked. I mean, you want right. to make sure that the, the person who's helping you pull this, this load is on the same page as you are. Right, because unfortunately, you could be seeking therapy from someone who has a completely different worldview Absolutely. than you. And yeah. These I'll are ju- deep things you're, you're sharing. Right, and I'll just speak for myself here. Like, you should not go to a therapist because, like, he's a Catholic or something. I, no. I don't think that's quite what you're no, talking about. No, we're not about talking here. about denominational no. lines necessarily. Necessarily. Um, but I think it's important that they at least have an understanding of the existence of God and and Jesus being, you know, the Son of God. And they probably won't properly understand you. Right. I mean, if, I've even heard some people come back from therapy and say that their, their therapist had told them that their quote-unquote radical religious beliefs Ooh. are the things that are causing them problems. And I'm like, well, you just need a new therapist because <laughs> that's, you know. So why do you think, just quickly, I've heard this, I've experienced this a bit, why do you think Christian people can be resistant to therapy and seeking it out in the more clinical, secular world? Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? I, th- I think it's twofold. I think... People are resistant to therapy because it's pain. it's hard, like I said earlier, and you know this gives them an out. Like, well, I'm a Christian. I don't I don't need to go to therapy. I yeah, I, I got the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, I think there's some people who believe that uh, that gives them an out, not having to deal with it. Uh, I think the other thing is that sometimes, and I I would say there are some toxic elements to some theology that says that you know if you're struggling with things that you are not really serious about your faith, or even some people go as far as to say that you're not saved because 
if you were really saved, God would have cleansed you already. You would be all done with that stuff. And we don't need outside doctors. We don't need that now as we have the Holy Spirit. I think that's just ignorant. And I'll just throw this in. Whenever I hear that line of thinking, um, I just, especially when it's coming from a brother or sister in the church Mm -hmm. or or in Christ, I just respectfully disagree. I mean, Mm -hmm. Luke was the good doctor. He wasn't cast aside because of... um, you know what he did for people. Yeah. This idea of uh, of medicine and um, I'll say one last thing for myself. The Holy Spirit may be the very person who's leading you toward mm-hmm. selecting this therapy or therapist and yeah. a- any kind of health ailment, but right. specifically here. Um, so, how many times have I heard people come up to me after a service and say, "Well, the Holy Sp- uh, that service was just for me." I, well, I didn't prepare it for that person the holy spirit used something that i said in a in a service that i prepared you know weeks in advance and use that statement or that word to point something very important in that person's life well that's exactly what a good christian therapist is going to be doing too they're going to be prayerfully and hopefully guided by the holy spirit to speak wisdom and truth into your life I mean, we just talked about it in the last series, how important having a mentor is. Well, yeah. if you don't, if, if you have the Holy Spirit, you don't, shouldn't need a mentor. Now, see what I'm saying? Like, it just it doesn't jive. We got to be careful that we don't uh, use the Holy Spirit and th- uh, super theolo- the- theological words to get us out of having to do things that are really going to help us. And towards the end of the sermon, you said, don't allow the pain of your past to poison your future. Mm-hmm. And that's quite a dire warning, mm-hmm. okay? And as I heard that, all I could help but think is like, um, you know, a virus, you, you catch a virus and you have acute symptoms, but then oftentimes that virus like lays dormant mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. I think like gout works like that, chicken pox works like that. It's true. And then you can have this flare up. Mm-hmm. And now the virus, for whatever reason, Maybe it's because your countenance is low or or you're not feeling well. Yep. It flares up. Mm-hmm. Do traumas, is that kind of what you were getting at, that traumas, if you don't purge them from the body in some way, th- there's always that chance for a flare-up? Or maybe you deal with the symptoms constantly. It's it's really, well, we, we all, we've all heard this term or not. We use it, overuse it these days, this concept of being triggered. Triggered. Right, triggered. And, and trauma is like that. Uh, and trauma, uh, un, unresolved trauma will, will just pop up out of nowhere. Something will happen. Somebody will, somebody will say something. And you'll be just living a, you know, your best life, right? And then somebody will say it, and you'll just, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be find yourself in the fetal position. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> figuratively and sometimes literally uh, and 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 I think if we don't take care of our uh, emotional state our psychological state um, we are just le- we are just giving the enemy the field we're just letting him have a have a heyday with us because those are the places where he's gonna he's gonna really attack us and our weakest places so dealing with these things is really taking away his ammunition 
for for trying to set us back you know telling us things like well you're not good enough because your parents didn't love you like they should or they you know if if you were really good enough that 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 person wouldn't have left you or wouldn't have treated you that way in that marriage and all these things that are are severely scarring to us as people and unresolved unresolved issues like that turns into bitterness and anger and anger uh, <laughs> it sounds like I'm talking like a Jedi here, but, but it's true. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> I um, mean, it's, 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 it's rough. It's like you, you, you produce the poison yourself. Absolutely. When you, when you have this, this held on to anger. And one last thing we talked about kind of the antidote to some of this, we talked about prayer mm-hmm. and how praying for someone who has hurt you or traumatized you or triggered you mm-hmm. like it's such a diff. That's kind of getting back to the the hard work. Yeah. That's the hallmark of a Christian's life. But I just want to ask you a very practical question for the people at home. Mm-hmm. Is this a good place to start? If you think this is an impossible thing to do, like I, I cannot do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Just because we all have cell phones or notepads or whatever, you just mm-hmm. open it up, the notepad in your phone, the notepad in your purse, and you just write down, like a list of people that have hurt you that you need to forgive mm-hmm. and just working through that, even if to start is just a very like check in the box kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to do it because I have to do it even though I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Can we start there mm-hmm. or do we have to get in a better place before we start? I think any movement forward on this is, is positive. Um, I think I told you a story about the, uh, the 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 guy who was convicted that he needed to pray for somebody who, and he, he literally was very honest. He's like, God, I hate this person, but I know I need to pray for him. So here we go. I'm going to pray for him. And that type of attitude, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, so, you know, and over time it got easier and finally he was able to really pray for this person, not only just pray for him, but pray for his blessing. And anyway. I would encourage baby steps. You don't want to jump into the deep end of the pool on this because it'll wreck you. You know, it's hard. It's hard work. But the alternative is not good. The alternative will destroy you. Bitterness and anger um, will take you down and they'll cause your life. You don't, again, you don't want the, the, the traumas of your past to dictate how good your future is right because if these traumas are like a poison or a virus in your body you get them you're, out. you're not 100 percent moving forward in your life it's a, it's a, it's literally cancer right and it's just eating away at you it's eating away at you so yeah writing a list would be a great thing um i think that even depending on your level of trauma just making a list might be might be ha- so hard like so it, hard. It, it may it might wipe you out for a day or two i mean ther- therapy sometimes is the hard like there's been times where I've gone to see my therapist, and then I'm like, I gotta go take a nap. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'm not, and I, I'm, I came, I grew up in a really great home, and it's not even about, just it's when you're doing the in, inward inner digging, and you're trying to unpack all that baggage, no matter what it is. I mean, it's fatiguing. So if it's serious trauma, just putting those names to paper and bringing those thoughts back. Maybe rough. So you might not want to do it in isolation. You might want to do it with somebody. Right. And so the encouragement is for, for the people listening, it's not just the praying. Mm-hmm. It's not just the list making. Right. It's not just the therapy. It's this 
overall life in Christ, you you stay plugged in the church because we we have found that yep. people who are hurting stay away from the church. Yeah, isolation. It's a weird thing. Yeah. It's it's almost like the dog that wants to hide under the bed before it passes away. Right. It's a very strange thing. So just this holistic approach of mm-hmm. of prayer, of therapy, of um, you know, staying in touch with your mentor, your mm-hmm. mentee, and all these things. And um, can I just say one more thing about that? Yeah, please. And I may, maybe I was remiss in talking about this on Sunday. Okay. All of this stuff is not a substitute for the work of God in your life. Right. Therapy is not a substitute. Um, doing you know, doing the hard work before you get into any of these things. Bathe it in prayer. Let's say you took. Let's say somebody took your your. Uh, idea of writing down the names okay. or putting them in it. Right. Before you even put pen to paper to yeah, write those, up. pray up. Ask God to help you. You cannot, We've said, we, I, I don't feel like we're getting a theme on this podcast. It's like, you can't do it on your own. You can't. Um, but I, I implore you, don't. Don't do it on your own. First off, always you know, invite God into the process. He's the only one who really can heal this whole thing. Um, secondly, if it's, if it's severe trauma, um, like some kind of physical or sexual abuse, I would encourage you, you know, have somebody with you, somebody who cares about you, who loves you while you're doing this so that you can process or just cry. Right. And, 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 and this is all what the, and this is what the church is supposed to be. This is what the church is for. Right. Cause we talked either last week or the week before about how the predator that is our enemy mm-hmm wants nothing more than to separate you from the herd Mm -hmm. so that you become easy prey. And I think these hurts and these traumas, yeah, you you have to have a God-centered life if you're going to try to navigate all these things. Mm -hmm. So, Pastor Dave, do you have any last thoughts, ideas, or encouragements before we shut down the rewind this week? I actually do. Um, Somebody came to me later on after the service and was asking me some questions because I I think at one point I had said that forgiveness when it comes to people doesn't all doesn't always mean reconciliation and that's that's a very true statement right Um, you can forgive somebody and not um, allow that person to continue to damage you by by separating from them by by moving removing physically removing yourself from a situation that is toxic Mm mm-hmm that doesn't mean that there's not forgiveness. It just means that you, you have to self-preserve as well. Um, so some, somebody asked me a question, like, what do you do when that's not possible? When separation, when let, let's say it's like a coworker or or somebody like that who you have to work with. You have to see them every day. You have to see them every what day. What are you going to do? And they're a toxic person, but you can't get away from them. And the, the only thing that I, I can say about that is there are, there are going to become situations in your life. I mean, if it's severe... You, you got to get away. But yeah. there are those uh, those moments where there's going to be toxic people in your life, coworkers or um, even sometimes family members, I guess, uh, that you just can't, you can't abandon them, right? But that's where this concept of boundaries comes into play and helps. You got to set up a level of boundaries and be clear about them. Um, and let people know that where your boundaries are. And if it's if it's a boss or something like that, and you can't be that transparent, then you just got to set them up yourself and just say, "I'm not going to allow myself to go down this rabbit hole." And um, there's a whole 
thought process around boundaries, and I think it's Henry Cloud who wrote the book Boundaries. Boundaries, okay. And, and it's and it's a great book. I mean, he made he's probably made a million dollars on that book because he's done boundaries for this, boundaries of that. But the, just the original boundaries and the red letters on the book Boundaries by Henry Cloud is such a good book for helping us to navigate uh, what it looks like to not allow other people to take advantage of us, not allow other people to uh, to traumatize us or hurt us, um, especially when it's someone you you just can't get away from necessarily. So I would encourage you if you if you have those situations in your in your workplace or in your home or whatever's going on that pick up that book. It's a great book. It's a, it's a pretty easy read, and uh, I think it could help you. Okay, so that's the last thought for this week that um, we need to have healthy boundaries. We need to address these hurts in our lives and we just need to stay prayed up. Mm-hmm. We need to stay connected in the church and that's how we're going to help to lighten the load of all this baggage right. that, that we carry Absolutely. around. All right, everybody, that is it for this week. I hope you enjoyed your time with us. We thank you for listening. If you would do us a favor, please like, follow, or subscribe on whatever platform it is that you use. If you could give us a five-star review, and even if you want to write some feedback, that'd be great. And the reason we need you to do this for us is so that we know you're listening. Because if you keep listening, we're going to try to keep making these. And and hopefully um, this is something that you can use to tell your friends about the church you go to or the church you follow online. So we just thank you very much. And that's it for this week. Have a great week, guys. Matthew 28th.